Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Chris Greenwood. Good morning again, everybody. How we doing? All right. Well, that was okay. We're good. We're great, Chris. That's great. That's great. So, all right. I guess that's how I'll preach the sermon then. So, what's happened is, um, once again, we're just one. All right, let's try that. It's a little different. All right. Once again, it's a wonderful privilege to stand before you to proclaim and teach God's Word. Today, just so you know, we'll be returning to the book of Acts. We've been there for 46 years now, and um, so we're hoping to finish it before 50, so we got that going for us. And we're going to continue to follow Paul on what is now his third missionary journey. Two weeks ago, Pastor Steve shared with us the story of dear Eucatus and his brush with death. We were taught to ponder the wonder of what God can bring to life out of death. Today we're going to return to the same themes of life and death, but we're going to look at them in a different way. But before we open up the Word of God, let's open ourselves up to the God of the Word, and let's pray for just a second. Father, would you come and teach us this morning? Would you send your Spirit to sink down this Word deep into our hearts, that it might find good soil? that it wouldn't be rocky or thorny, it wouldn't be shallow. Lord, but it would be rich and fertile and that from these seeds you might bear fruit, that we might make much of who you are. And so, Lord, I submit this message to you, even as we all submit our hearts to you, to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pick up a narrative in chapter 20, beginning in verse 13. So are you guys ready to learn this morning? Okay, that's better, that's better. Very good. You know, one of the things that I don't think we have to remind you all very much of is that when you come on Sunday mornings, really any time you open up God's Word, we need to come with a sense of expectation because God shows up every time. The question is whether or not we expect Him to. The question is whether or not we are looking for Him to. But he is faithful to show up every single time. And so regardless of whether, you know, the communicator up front is high energy and jumps all around and does all those kind of things, for example, uh, or whether they're extremely funny and punny and uh, does stuff like that, or whether they're kind of soft-spoken and mellow and calming, those are all hypotheticals, not at all resembling anybody else on staff. Um... (laughs) or if they're just kind of a little bit like me who's very eclectic and does all kinds of different things, I want you to understand that your pastor's expectation is that God is going to speak to you every week. And so we hope that you would join with us in that expectation. And so this morning, we're going to get started in verses 13 through 17 to kind of set the stage for the main passage we're going to be looking at. But going ahead to the ship... We set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. That's about a 20-mile trip for Paul. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board, and we went to Miletine. That's one sailing day. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. That's another sailing day. The next day, we touched at Samos, an additional sailing day. And the day after that, we went to Miletus, one last sailing day. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. 
for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. That's about 40 miles away. Well, why all this detail, Pastor Chris? I say to you, why not? Remember, this is real history. It's the greatest story ever told, and the details matter. So in the 52 seconds it took me to read those five verses, and yes, I have timed it out, you just read that Paul took a 20-mile trip and had a four-stop cruise. Except we have to remind ourselves that he almost certainly walked those 20 miles on a hard Roman road and traveled that four-day cruise in the hold of some large, stinky cargo ship. Real people, real life, really happened. In this opening passage, Paul finds himself caught in the middle of two clashing heart pulls. He wants to hurry on to Jerusalem and try to be there for Pentecost, and yet he can't let go of the idea of at least touching base with the elders from Ephesus. So he compromises, and he doesn't go to Ephesus in person, but rather sends for them to come to him. It's that too often, that struggle that we all have. I want to see so-and-so, but I don't really want to get stuck there. So I'll pick a neutral site that allows for the connection, but not the delay. Have you ever been there? You know, you're trying to meet somebody, but you don't really want to get stuck over there. Well, that's what Paul's doing right here. But all of that's the prologue. So now let's get into the meat of where we're going to be. Verse 18 begins one of the greatest passages in the book of Acts. Today we're going to look at just the first half, and I'm afraid to tell you that you'll have to wait till June 4th to hear Pastor Steve preach on the rest. I just can't do the whole passage justice in the time we have allotted together. So I'm only going to look at the first half. I came upon this passage many moons and many years ago. For me, it was a confirmation of what my Christian life and my eventual call into ministry would look like. It is a call. It's a call to go all in. So may the Lord speak to each of us through this. Here's the passage, 18 through 27, and then a couple of verses at the very end. And when the Ephesian elders came to him, Paul said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I included the ending of the larger passage so you could connect with the heart of what's going on here in this farewell speech. Many weeks ago, when we saw Paul arrive at Ephesus, he was met by some new God-ordained friends immediately. 
The Lord gave him favor and open doors that allowed him to plant and then pour his life into this new Ephesian church for around three years. Scholars believe it's the longest place Paul stayed during his entire ministry. So it makes sense that this, this moment was really, really hard for Paul and for the Ephesian elders. It's a very intimate look at a spiritual father of the church saying a final goodbye to his spiritual children. But it's also a trumpet blast of a call to action for each of us in 2017. Can I tell you about the first time I was really struck and convicted by this passage? It's when I tried to put my own life, my own name, into the context of this farewell. It's when I tried to discern what kind of legacy would I leave one day. The answer was not a good one. I looked around and I realized that I hadn't really made that much of a difference for Jesus. I thought it was about Jesus making a difference for me. I didn't know there was a purpose to this thing called Christianity. I just thought it was a rescue mission. And since I was rescued, the mission was over. I mean, I was safe. My ticket was punched. I had embraced gratitude, but not joy. I was rescued, but not repurposed. I was born again, but not burdened. I was not like Paul, and I couldn't picture myself saying those words. But that was then. Today, years later, I stand before you as someone who now reads this passage and sees it for what it is, a call to walk the most exciting journey you could walk, an invitation to play your part in the greatest production ever produced, even greater than Fiddler on the Roof, which is going to be amazing, and right here at KPC in August. See that shameless plug? You didn't even see that coming, but it's right there. But this passage is about purpose. It's about what really matters. Just a few days ago on Wednesday, Pastor Steve played for the staff an audio clip of a message by Todd White. Now, I've listened to a few messages by Todd over the years, and I was once again struck by his call to purpose in this world. One of the things he said was that we can get so wrapped up in and distracted by the beauty and journey of life that we miss the author of life. We can so easily make an idol out of life and miss the intimacy that God calls us to have with himself as the author of that life. So today I join Todd in calling you to see this passage for what it is. Now if I believe this journey was only for pastors and missionaries and other full-time ministry occupations like Paul, I wouldn't waste my time and yours saying what I'm about to say. But it's because I believe this passage is timeless, convicting truth for each and every person in this room that we're digging into it this morning. So don't let the idea that, well, Paul was this super missionary, he was a super saint, throw you off here. This is just as much for you as it was for him. Because here's the heart of what Paul tells the elders of this young church in verses 18 through 21. He says, you know me. You've watched me live my life in your midst. I walked with you and ate with you and did life with you. I didn't strut around as some holier-than-thou or pompous know-it-all. I was just me. You watched me get persecuted. You heard the lies. You know how much it hurt me to hear the things they said about me. You watched me cry, and yet I never wavered. I never pulled back. I kept teaching you Jesus, showing you Jesus, and loving you like Jesus. I poured myself into you as Christ poured into me. I was the same in public 
as I was in private. I was consistent and true to you and to all. I proclaimed the same message both in word and in deed to all people. Jews, Gentiles, it didn't matter. What mattered? What mattered was repentance and faith. Is that the type of life pastors and missionaries and full-time ministry people should seek? Absolutely. Is it something they're commanded to pursue by the God of the universe? Sure it is. Without a shadow of a doubt, it is. We just called Pastor Mark to this type of life last week during his ordination service. And so likewise, God commands each of you. So can you look at your life and see a parallel with what Paul says here? Or is there a canyon separating where you are from what he's saying? KPC, what matters to the heart of God is that we proclaim with our words and with our lives that repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus is the foundation of true life. These Christian words, repentance, faith, what do these words even mean? Church family, visitors, regular attenders, they mean everything. They're the essence of what holds our faith together, and they are desperately needed if we're to see and experience revival sweeping our land once more. But Paul goes on in verses 22 through 24 and says this, I have to press onwards. I have to. The Spirit of God, He leads me. No, that's not quite right. Compels me, urges me, calls me, commands me. Yes, that's it. He commands me onwards. Onwards to what? I don't really know. In fact, what little I do know is this. This pressing onwards will be harder than anything I've faced so far. It will be more uncomfortable than I want. It will strip me of my earthly entitlements, my perceived privileges, and my worldly wisdom. Yet, oh, my Ephesian children in the faith, listen to me. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I am constantly learning whether it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And this life I now live in the flesh, I live for the one who died and gave himself up for me, because in my weakness... He is strong. I want to run the race as one hoping to achieve the prize. I want only to finish well. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's pleasure. Oh, to please the one who's called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. To proclaim to the ends of the earth the gospel of the grace of God. Even if it demands the laying down of my life, I will gladly do so. That God might be made much of to each of you. That's what Paul's saying here. But what is this gospel of grace, Pastor Chris? It's the only gospel there is. From Paul's day all the way to ours, there have been many distortions, many corruptions, many deceptions when it comes to the gospel. So if you will indulge me, I'd like to share with you the gospel of grace so that you will at least having your minds on this day, what is the true gospel? From birth we are condemned for sin, in sin did our mothers conceive us. They didn't mean to any more than we asked to be born sinful, but nonetheless they did, and thus we are, because of a devastating choice made millennia ago by a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. They defied their creator and the lover of their souls and declared their independence of him and from him, and in so doing, separated each and every member of humanity ever born 
from that time until now, from the God who knits them together in their mother's womb. But the world was not without hope, for God had predestined a plan, a plan to make right the wrong, to make holy what is now sinful, to restore what was lost. Repentance for that defiance was needed, but humanity? Humanity is stubborn and proud. Our sins compounded, our offense against a holy God grew, and a cleansing was needed. So God cleansed the world through a flood. Yet the offense began again because it was part of our nature, our birth. But God, God had that plan. According to that plan, he predestined a man, a man from whom would come a people, a people who would become a light to the nations, a beacon of hope in an increasingly dark world. And he gave those people law, law that would demonstrate his holiness and yet offer a way to embrace repentance and find forgiveness because of love, which is his nature. It soon became clear that the people could not keep such a law. The bar was too high, the cost was too much, their nature was too ingrained. Perfect obedience could not be achieved, and the people lost their way time and time again. Yet God was not dismayed. He was not shaken. He had that plan, a plan fashioned before the foundations of the world. For from the lineage of the man out of whom had come those people, he had ordained a king, a king after his own heart, a king who embraced repentance and found forgiveness like none other before him had ever had, a king who loved God as his son loves his father. Yet even that king was still just a man and unable to atone for his offenses against his holy God. But God was still not done. He had predestined that from the line of that king would come the king, the king of lords and the lord of kings, the hope and the salvation of the world, the fully God and the fully man, God-man, Jesus Christ. God condescended to dwell with humanity and walked among us. He lived a life like no other because being born sinless through the virgin birth, he was not tainted with original sin. And although he was tempted in every way as we are, he never fell. He brought with him the kingdom of God, a kingdom that turns this world on its head and declares that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It declares that you must be, to be great you must serve, and it declares to gain you must lose, and to live you must die. It declares that true love is willing to lay down one's life for another, and so that's exactly what he did. Jesus laid down his life on a cold, cruel cross some 2,000 years ago and died an unjust death so that you and I might be free. But we are only free because that which he laid down, he picked back up again. His resurrection victory over sin, hell, and the grave was a crushing victory. It was a demolishing of strongholds, a tearing down of principalities, and a victory over the forces of darkness. He was not beaten. He was not defeated. He was and is victorious, and in that victory offers freedom. Freedom from, which we are, freedom from that which we are born with. Freedom to receive true and total forgiveness. Freedom to step into our new identities as sons and daughters of the King. Freedom to share the wonder of the gospel of grace with others, that they too might be free. And so we have but two things to do. Repent and by faith believe. Repent before God and admit that from the time of our birth we are sinners separated from the God who loves us and gave himself up for us. Repent and turn away from the false gods of this world. Pleasure, entitlement, individuality, self-confidence, self-reliance, control, authority, power, pride, fame, wealth, success, and many, many more. We must turn away from each and every one of them and instead by faith believe. 
believe that what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary corrects the course of history, crushes the call of sin, and changes the condemned into children. Believe that forgiveness is yours for the taking because it has already been freely given after being bought with a great price. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and today he will be saved. That is and that always will be the gospel of grace. For you did not earn it, you do not deserve it, you did not even ask for it, because while you were yet still a sinner, Christ died for you. So Jesus says, come all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to the one and the only one who can give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and find that his burden is light. By faith believe in and on Jesus and Jesus alone. That is the message that we must proclaim. Not just me, not just Pastor Steve, Pastor Neil, and Pastor Mark. For we each have this glorious gospel of grace to share. So share it. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? So share it. And yet most of us, we leave the church on a Sunday and we don't tell hardly anybody. But I just want to encourage you, share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Share it with those you work with. Share it with anyone and everyone because we never know when God will usher us home. Paul knew that he would never see these elders again. Most of us will not be given such insight. Most of us will not know when our days are up. So like Paul, I want to be able to say, I have told anyone and everyone I could and can about the most wonderful story ever told. I did not pull back. I did not shrink in fear. I told it all. I am innocent because I have done all that my Lord has asked of me. So how about you? Are you all in? It's 2017, and you need to decide whether you're just going to keep walking the fence. See, this year is all about establishing that new normal. I keep talking about it. It's a reset year. What was is was. I know that's horrible grammar, but I want you to think about that. What was is was. Let the past stay the past, because what is now is. Some moments define you, and so I would suggest that this is one of those moments that could very well define you. Are you all in? I know it's May 21st, 2017. May 21st is just a regular day, Chris. Why in the world? It means nothing. I know that the school year's coming to close. I know that the summer's right around the corner. And I know that both you and I could fill in the blanks of what would be seemingly an infinite number of things about what's coming up in life. But what about what the author of life calls us to? With every fiber of my being, I stand before God and I ask you, even as I ask myself, Will you go all in? No matter what comes tomorrow, next week, next month, or this fall, this is the day that the Lord has made. Will you rejoice in it? Will you rejoice in who He is, what He's done, and who He declares you to be? Will you go all in? 
As we begin to close our time together, I'd like to speak honestly with you all about something. Altar calls are tricky business in today's culture because no one wants to be manipulated, no one wants to be taken advantage of or feel pressured, especially at church. I know I don't. I mean, does anybody wake up any day? Man, I hope that they really just, just really manipulate me today at church. I hope I feel a lot of pressure today to do something I don't really want to do. I don't think anybody comes to church hoping that that would ever remotely happen. I want you to know that you can be sure that if and when we offer an invitation at KPC, we're doing it so that you can respond to what you've heard. We're not doing it for any other reason than to give you an opportunity. Here's a couple of thoughts for you to ponder. Calling forth a response and extending an invitation is highly biblical. Jesus did it throughout his entire earthly ministry. And secondly, seeing people respond to a move of the Spirit in a worship service builds up the body of Christ as a whole. So everyone listen to me. I know that some of you in this room know Jesus this morning. So let me speak for a moment to you. If you've heard something this morning that has your heart thumping in any sort of way, if the Spirit of God's asking you to make a decision for Christ in some area of your life, maybe you've been wrestling with a call to ministry, maybe it's a call to the mission field, maybe it's just a call to be bolder in your love of Jesus at work or at school or even at your home or with your family, in just a minute, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in the air. That's all. Just a minute. Not yet. I know some of you are already jumping at it. You're just jumping at it. Not yet. So if you've heard something, if you feel like the Lord is just wanting you to take a step towards being all in, I want you just to be pondering that. For those of you that find yourselves here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus, I just wanted to speak a quick word to you. First, I'm so glad you're here. I'm really, really glad you're here. We're honored to have you join us at KPC this morning. Maybe this is your first time at a church. Maybe it's just your first time here. Or maybe you're like one of the many I know, even some here at KPC, who go to church each week but just haven't followed the two steps of the gospel of grace, repentance and belief. One of those at our last church was a girl named Ashley. Ashley had gone to church since she was five or six years old, and she just recently has graduated UVA. So if you can do the math of that, she's been going to church for 18 years. Always going, never quite believing. Maybe that's you this morning. Well, like Sarah and I have urged Ashley over the years, and still do, it's time. It's time to stop running Stop pretending. Stop striving. Embrace grace. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Jesus, to also slip your hand up in the air. Because even right now, I'm calling the rest of this family of faith to be praying for you. Praying that you would have the boldness and the courage to surrender your life to Jesus this morning. There's no better place to do so than right here, right now. You only need to be comfortable declaring that you need the gospel of grace that I share with you this morning. And we only ask it so that we can have the honor of praying for you. 
So now this is that moment. This is, this is all the stuff that the Lord typed, wanted me to type on this piece of paper. And so I'm just doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. So for those of you that already know Jesus and want to bear witness that the Lord has spoken to you this morning about anything at all, nudging you forward, moving in your life, would you just simply raise your hand in the air? And while you keep your hands up for just a moment, if you don't yet know Jesus but you want to, if you recognize your need for the gospel of grace, I would ask you to join the hands that are already in the air as your need, as your declaration for your need of Jesus. No emotional backdrop. I'm not begging you. I'm not manipulating you. I'm just asking you to raise it up as a witness to the body of Christ so we can pray for you too. So any more hands of people that are new to the faith, feel free to raise those up as well. Thank you. You guys, please lower your hands and let me pray for all of us. Lord, it is an honor to stand before your people and proclaim your word. Because when I look at my own life and how far you've brought me, there's still such a long way to go. But Lord, that's the essence of grace, isn't it? It's the grace that moves us forward. It's the grace that calls us and empowers us and motivates us and equips us and empowers us to be who you call us to be. This morning, for each and every person that raised their hand that has been challenged by your word, not mine, I pray that you would continue to do that work, that you would call them to go all in, to surrender every bit of who they are to you. Lord, we know tomorrow is coming, but God, I just have to tell you that 30 minutes is coming too, that as soon as we get up and start moving around, life crushes back down on us. And so I pray that you would empower each and every one who raised their hand with a strength that's beyond themselves, with a peace and a joy, a courage, a boldness to step out and begin to proclaim the wonderful gospel of grace at a restaurant with a neighbor, with a friend, with a coworker. Lord, give them the boldness and the courage to do so, not because they have all the answers, because they can simply point people to the answer. And Lord, for those who raised their hands this morning, who want to cry out to you for the very first time, we pray that you would meet them where they are, and we know that you do. The wonder of the cross is that you didn't expect anyone to be perfect before you met them but that you met them, that they might be perfect. And so, Lord, I just pray that as you meet them, that you would show them what it is to be repentant before you and to place their full faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be in this place to meet with you. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.